Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Happy to be with you again today. Thank you for joining us, and uh, I pray that you'll uh, be blessed today as we are going to talk about sharing the story of Jesus. I would like to welcome the panel for today, and um, I will start with uh, Len. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick, and welcome, listeners. And Will, thank you for uh, joining also. Thank you, Nick. Glad to be here. Helen, it's lovely to have you also with uh, our team. Thank you, Nick. It's a delight. I'm just loving the time that we share together with the listeners as well. And Brenton, good to have you with us. And also thank you for uh, taking care of this Bible study. Brenton is our facilitator. Thank you very much for uh, joining. Nick, it's a pleasure to be able to share God's Word. I know this will be an exciting uh, Bible study today, and I would like to use time wisely, and um, with no further comments, I would like to just pass it to you, Brenton. Please take us through. Thank you, Nick, and thank you, everyone. A changed life is certainly more powerful than anything we could say or preach. As Nick actually stated, sharing the story of Jesus is our topic for Bible study today. People can dispute your theological beliefs, but not the changes the Holy Spirit has brought about in your life. Let us look at several examples in the New Testament of changes that led to sharing with both non-believers and kings what God has done for these men. God wants us to be his mouthpiece in sharing this to encourage others to accept Jesus. I did have a couple of key thoughts that I want to share before we go to the Word of God. One key thought uh, is this. No sooner does one come to Christ than there is born in his heart a desire to make known to others what a precious friend he has found in Jesus. That's found from a book uh, called Steps to Christ on page 78. And a complimentary comment is our confession of his faithfulness is heaven's chosen agency for revealing Christ to the world. These are the key things that we're going to be looking at today. Len, I'd like you to lead us in prayer, please. Our dear Father in heaven, it's a privilege to be able to open your word and see there of your great love for mankind. Yes. We're praying as um, we go through this Bible study, that you will help us to make it meaningful and that the Holy Spirit might reach the hearts of our listeners, that they too will want to serve and honour you in their lives. We pray for your blessings on them and us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lee. It's interesting that uh, Paul in his epistles often has a lot to say about what life was like before he knew Christ and what what it was like after he had met Christ. Len, I wondered if you could share with us some key thoughts from Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 10, where for um, want of brevity, let us just say this. In the first couple of verses, he talks about in his epistle to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, what they were like before they knew Christ and then the subsequent verses, what they're like afterwards. I wondered if you could just share those verses with us, uh, Len, and maybe we can discuss uh, what you read to us. 
All right. Well, it's always good to read from God's Word. I'm going to read all ten. That's fine. In this section, Ephesians chapter 2, which is entitled Made Alive in Christ. And Paul is saying here, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful natures and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is a very beautiful and rich passage from Scripture, and I commend it to all of you to read it. And if you've never read it before, please do. Paul is pointing out here that before people discover or discovered the fact that uh, Christ died for them, he called them dead. You were dead in your transgressions. I think this requires some exploration. What does it mean to be dead? Well, I think it means that you're born, you live, you die, and that's it. Life has basically no meaning or little meaning. And then Paul points out that when a person is saved by grace, and that's another thing we need to discuss, then you become alive. You have as promised by Jesus in John 3.16, you have eternal life. And so there we have that contrast. Now, I could keep going, but some of the other panel members might like to talk. Lynn, I appreciate your comments very much. What do you make of this uh, comment, uh, Len, maybe, and panel? Children of wrath. He calls us, in some versions, it's children of wrath or objects of wrath, I think you read. What wrath are we talking about? Whose wrath? All right. Well, really, this is talking about the wrath of God yes. because sinners will be punished. Yeah. They will be punished. And I don't think of punishment in terms of an ever-burning hell, Brenton. I think that's a total misconstruction of what God's wrath is. Mm. People will be destroyed and they will remain destroyed forever. It's not a continual, everlasting destroying. They will be destroyed forever. They will never, ever raise their heads again. Yeah. Brenton, uh, 
Will, yeah. I like that Paul says that uh, he shows the the tremendous change from what he formal, formerly was and uh, what he is now. You know, this happens even in the very um, circles of Jesus and his disciples. Um, in Mark 3, 7, 17, we have the example of uh, two of his own disciples, the sons of thunder, uh, called uh, sons of wrath, <laughs> would you believe, that's true. That's true, Will. That's exactly what they're called. Keep going anyway. <laughs> Mark 3 verse 17 says, James, the son of Zebedee and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. And uh, wow, these two were uh, pretty um, revengeful and vindictive, as we can read in a, in a later portion in, um, in Luke chapter 9. Let me just tell you a little about the before and the after here. Um, in Luke chapter 9, from verse 51, it says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, the two we're talking about, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? (laughs) (laughs) And Jesus replies, he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And uh, they went to another village. So <laughs> the before and after is pretty, um, pretty evident here. He became, they became wonderful uh, preachers of love and grace. They, they did, Will. That is true. Any other comments? Helen, do you have any thoughts on these verses? I was thinking more of the verses that that Len read out before when I was thinking about, I really thought about that and I thought, isn't it amazing that sin is really the death of the soul? You know, when you think about it, a state of sin is conformity to the world. And, you know, then, then we come under the wrath of God. And But when you think about it, when we are changed by God, every converted sinner is a saved sinner. Yes. You know, I'm saved by grace, delivered from sin and wrath. And a regenerated sinner becomes a living soul as opposed to being dead. Are you with me? Yes. He lives a life of holiness. He's he's born of God. He lives. He's delivered from guilt of sin. I tell you, that's that's a wonderful thing. By pardoning and justifying grace. Sinners, you know, they literally roll themselves in the dust, whereas when someone has been pardoned and is a sanctified soul, we're told that we sit in heavenly places, raised above the world, by Christ's grace, nothing good in us. Yes. And um, I think the contrast there is just amazing, and I thank Len for sharing that with us before. Yeah, but I do, have, I do have another comment here. Sure. Um, we're talking about winning people through love. The exercise of force, force is contrary to the principle of God's government. He desires only the service of love, and love cannot be commanded. It cannot be won by force or authority, and only by love 
is love awakened. Isn't that a wonderful thought, Helen? Yes, absolutely. It is. Lynn, you had a comment. This uh, section I read to you is about death and life. And the death actually is included in the wrath of God. But those who accept the sacrifice of Jesus and live according to God's will have no fear of the wrath of God because they are his children. Yes. But I'd like to say this. Paul describes, the Apostle Paul describes people who we would call sinners as dead. And I said before that there's no hope of eternal life. I believe that there is a very widespread teaching that goes right through the Western world called evolution, which says we have come from a lesser life form. And I think this is a load of garbage because mutations don't add information to make more complex life forms. And we come from a lesser life form. Therefore, I can imagine a lot of people might wonder, well, am I accountable to anybody? And as far as I can see, that with the teaching of evolution, there is no hope. There's no hope of the future. You live, you die, that's it. So there's a whole lot in this where we have hope through what Jesus did. Now, I know Helen mentioned before, this is not our own works. We can't earn salvation. We can't pay a lot of money. We can't do various um, acts of philanthropy. There's nothing that like that's going to help us. We simply have to accept the grace that God has toward us, and we may be saved because of that. Yeah, thank you. Um, Nick, you had a comment. What I would like to share in a few words here, I'd like to go back to Ephesians yes, chapter yes. 2, what Len was just uh, sharing. I have a few things there in the verse 3, which I'd like to clarify. I would like you all uh, to, to think of this one here, because verse 3, it's an interesting uh, uh, thing. And we made all sorts of comments here, even about the wrath of God. Let's look at this one briefly among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind and were by nature just as the others. What sort of wrath is talking about here? God's wrath. Interesting enough, because it says here, we're under the flesh, we're under the lusts of the flesh, you know, mm-hmm. and of the mind. We are by, by nature, we are by nature children of wrath. This cannot be God's. Why do you say that, Nick? Eh? Share, share with us your thoughts. I mean, I'm saying here, because we are children, we are disobedient at this stage, yes? Because yes. we are after the lust of our flesh and all those things. Mm-hmm. Who in control at that time of our life? Yeah. What is the end result, though, it was of Satan. continuing to live it that life? It was the devil, if it was the enemy. Now, the devil, the Satan, he's enraged with yes. all. 
He's enraged with God. Mm-hmm. And he is conducting his, his work. Yes. As all. And that's why my, this text is a little bit, for me, hard to comprehend here. Were we here under the wrath of God or of the enemy? I think probably, Nick, it's fair to say both. Yes, I think this um, is quite interesting what Nick says. Yes, thank you uh, for bringing it up, Nick. However, I read in Revelation chapter 6, verse 16, talking about the last days, the punishment of the wicked. Uh, they call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. That's right. Mm. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So while uh, I don't think what Nick said is the direct application of this uh, word, the wrath of God, but it's um, interesting, it's perhaps a secondary application. Uh, Good thought. Um, Nick, thanks for bringing it up, and Len also. Guys, I want you to have a look again, if you wouldn't mind, at verse 10 that you read earlier on, Len. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, Len, you touched on uh, evolution earlier on. We believe that we were created in God's image. Uh, Man was created in God's image at the beginning and fell. Now, I see in this text, and I don't know... uh, the rest of you, us as a panel, whether we see this, I see this is the new birth. It's talking about the new birth. We were created in Christ Jesus. Who were, crea- who were we created in? Christ Jesus. Four good works. What was the purpose of our creation? What was the purpose, I guess, of our recreation? The recreation in Christ leads to good works. That's the purpose for which we were recreated. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Ellen? <laughs> yeah, Brenton, I wanted to make a comment sure. before you said your last thing about um, something that I read about the children of wrath. I, I'd just like to share it. It says the expression children of wrath simply means that we are by our very nature sinners and worthy of God's judgment or yes. wrath. The prophet Jeremiah states that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's Jeremiah 17.9. Isaiah adds that even our, our so-called righteousness is as filthy rags, yes. Isaiah 64.6. And the reason that our righteousness is described as filthy rags is because it comes from a sin-polluted heart. And without yeah. Christ, we are hopelessly lost. We're in bondage to these sin, sinful natures. Yeah. Does that well, make sense? Helen, it does, because you know what? Uh, when you go back to verse 8, which is a very good one that we all know, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. It's talking precisely about the works that you were describing, whereas verse 10 is talking about a converted person and the good works that are evidence of their conversion. First section, I believe, Paul is talking about people doing good works in order to recommend them to God. Verse 10 is talking about a person who has accepted grace, who has accepted God's forgiveness, and who is producing good works as an evidence of their acceptance of God's grace. Yeah, I I guess in summary, I'd, I'd just like to say, you know, before we know Christ, before we have even come to him, we are selfish, we are self-centred. Yes. And it's it's really all of self and none of thee. 
And as we get to know him, it's some of self and some of thee. As we get even closer, it's more uh, less of self and more of these. And finally, when we get to that point where we realize there's nothing good in us, it's none of self and all of thee. Uh, thank you. Progressive. Yeah. Len, I believe you had a comment for us. All right. Well, several of the things I wanted to bring up have already been mentioned, and I won't repeat them. Right. But the good works are a natural progression, Christ living in us. Yes, yes. And I would like to describe them as fruits. It's a, it's a natural thing that comes of being changed. When we are sinners, we're interested in ourselves and selfishness. And we have the love of God dwelling within us. We change. And Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Yes. This is basically the good, some of the good works. Mm -hmm. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there are other things besides. Thank you, Lynn, very much. Uh, the reason I was uh, mentioning a bit earlier uh, what I said is because we look in this passage from two, in, in two sections. Mm-hmm. First of all, before we knew Christ, yes, and after. state of our uh, uh, being, and after we encounter Christ. And before we knew Christ, we were the children of what? Wrath. Of what? And that's what I'm, I'm trying to say there. Now, after we accept Jesus, we are under grace. Yes? And uh, uh, the works of Jesus in our life, the change of our lives, it's totally on a different page. And that's why here we are dealing with the, the basics of our testimony. Because we are going to talk today about how to share our story. That's right. How Jesus is in encouraging us to really share our story and talk about the great miracle happen, happening in our life yeah. after conversion. But before that, it's good to understand, and we don't need to focus on that, but it's good to understand that we are all conducted by the desires of this flesh, you know, the, yes. the sinful nature. And uh, I no wonder it says that in verse 3 that we are the same like others. The last word says in my translation here, children of wrath, just as the others. Yes. We found that, um, as I have said, the, the, the before and the after with regard to um, these disciples of Jesus and, in fact, any one of us, um, I noticed that in Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 37, um, these men were insensitive and uh, self-centered. They were actually wishing to get the highest place. This is the before now. It, it says there in Mark 10, 35 to 37, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. That, that's amazing that uh, these men, in the, the still in the before stage, 
still not completely washed by uh, the presence of Jesus, um, are still selfish and and, uh, self-centered. Well, it's interesting that you should mention that because in verse 33 down to verse 34, Christ has just taken them aside as a group of 12 and told them what's going to happen to him when he goes up to Jerusalem, that I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be mocked and scourged, and I'm going to be crucified and rise again the third day. And what is their response to all of this? The interesting thing is we don't know uh, chronologically the difference between verse 35 and 37 and verse 32 and verse 34, but I think we can guess there's not a large time lapse or gap between these two. These guys are so insensitive and so self-centered, they're still thinking in terms of a um, physical kingdom that's going to be set up. It seems as though Christ's sacrifice that he is now repeatedly trying to point out to them, um, it just goes over their head. And I guess this is another evidence, isn't it, folk, of an unconverted heart. Yeah. I mean, notice what Christ says to them. Are you able to drink the cup on drink? Yep, no trouble, they said. (laughs) Well, little did they realise that their words were prophetic. I mean, uh, James was the first of the disciples to be killed as a martyr, and John was the very last one to die. So you've got some interesting things there. But, Nick, I I wondered if you could... You talked about the change earlier on, Nick. I wondered if you could read 1 John 4, 7 to 11 for us, please. And then I'm going to get Len to back that up with 1 John 1, 3 and 4. Thanks, Nick. I'm reading uh, from verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the appropriation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In this passage here, Brenton, uh, John is referring back to uh, the beautiful uh, passage in the Bible, the golden verse as we know it, John 3.16. He is, Nick, yes. <laughs> and talks about the, uh, the love of God. And then he's trying to help us here to understand that in order to follow God and to believe that we are on the right path to say so, is not to have theologically everything in place or to understand everything in place, but to really love one another. If we try to just uh, debate our faith, if we try to just, uh, you know, lift up ourselves in whatever we understand and miss out of the most important thing that God loved us first, in the condition we were, how much more we should love one another and give glory to God in what we do. Because I believe we live in a time today when it's too much, it's too much debate yes, and yes. controversy mm-hmm. of understanding of the Bible. 
and we show less and less love to each other. Yeah, yeah, that that's a good point, Nick. Another point that which we weren't going to touch on in this study, but I will just mention it briefly. You all remember the story of Mary anointing Jesus' feet with the ointment. He said um, his comment was this: "He who loves little, or he who is forgiven little, loves little. He who is forgiven much, loves much." And I think Nick really backing up what you were saying is the fact that until we realise that we owe totally everything to God, only then can we allow His love to flood us mm. and thus be able to be shared with other people. Because when we understand how how desperately we're in need of God's grace. I believe we'll be less judgmental, less critical, and less um, uncomplimentary of those around about us because we will realise that we are all struggling. We're all in the same boat and God is pouring out his grace on us so lavishly in uh, because of our need. Nick, uh, Len, rather, would you back it up by reading First John 1, 3 and 4? Uh, Nick has touched on... Uh, Really what um, he's saying here is he's saying we need to love one another because God has loved us first. But uh, what does he say at the beginning of this um, epistle, Len, in First John 1, 3 and 4? He uses a couple of terms which I think are the crux of what we are actually trying to discuss here. All right. Well, there are some other issues I would like to quickly mention. You, you may certainly do that. However, this is a message from the changed John, the Christian John, not the one who wanted to zap people with lightning coming down from heaven. Here we have somebody who really understands the grace and goodness of God and he has accepted it. And he says in First John 1, 3 and 4, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Now the Apostle Peter uh, in Second Peter 1, 16 he puts it another way, but it's the same thing. He says, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses. Wow. John says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. In other words, he had been with Jesus. So that you also may have fellowship with us. He's, he's saying, all right. We are now saved. We, we're Christians. We belong to God. But you can have fellowship. And then he says, and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Wonderful. And that's the fellowship which I believe we as a panel have too. We have been with Jesus. Yes. And then just to continue quickly on that one, in Christendom today, people are arguing who are following the truth right from Jesus. The Orthodox people, I'm coming from that background, will say we are the ones because we're coming straight from the disciples. Others will say now we are the ones because we are more universal than you and, uh, and so on and so forth. But this passage which you just referred to, Len, it's saying here, we've been with Jesus. And we saw Jesus not arguing, not arguing with the, whatever was around there, just the theological part or the who's right and who's wrong. What was the first 
in in those four steps of uh, Jesus method alone what was the first three they were socializing with people sympathizing with people serving people in order to bind them follow me yes we're doing too much the other way around and that's what i learned from this example here that uh, when john says we've been with jesus and they could see when they look at themselves they could see how their lives was changed because yes. they looked at jesus how jesus approached things not how they were maybe intended to because they were as you just said they were just for right things to happen you know fire come from heaven and burn all those uh, people to the ground this is probably the, the big issue which we deal with today in this lesson sharing the story of jesus how, and how can we embrace that and really uh, be be a, a light in this world well the acid test is how do we relate we are meaning us christians who have been with jesus how do we relate to other people do we see them as enemies or do we see them as someone who needs saving Mm. Yes, that's a good point. We can only love through a living relationship with Christ. We can. Uh, Truly love. Yeah. Mm. Let me share with you John 14, 23. It says this, Jesus answered and said to them, this is talking to the disciples in the upper room, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's similar to the fellowship land that you were reading. The Greek word is koinonia uh, for fellowship in 1 John 1, 3 and 4. It's a similar word to what you find in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, where it talks about the fellowship that the early Christian believers had with one another. Um, the Bible commentary brings out some interesting comments about this. It says it is possible to have fellowship with equals, uh, we as a panel have fellowship with one another because we are equals, but it is also possible to have fellowship in an unequal situation. God is God. We are human beings. And for the God of heaven to want to have fellowship with us, I think that's absolutely wonderful. And uh, John is actually saying here in First John, he's reinforcing two things. Number one, I was with Jesus, as you mentioned, Len, uh, Peter said the same thing. I was with Jesus, I talked with him, I walked with him. But guys, what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to have fellowship with us just as we are having fellowship with God the Father and with Jesus Christ. He's inviting them. And really uh, this uh, lesson, this Bible study, sharing the story of Jesus, Surely, um, Nick, I think you mentioned it earlier on, surely the key word here is inviting people to have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, just as we are having. Isn't that what it's all about, Len? <clears throat> I guess I believe that's right. But I'd just like to make a quick quick comment. That Greek word that you said, what was it, krinomia? Well, koinonia, K-O-I-N, I think O-I-N-A. So is that the disease or is it the cure? <laughs> no, I believe it's the cure. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm glad of that. Okay, Helen, um, I did say at the start of this uh, Bible study that we would be looking at various characters. So far we've looked in Ephesians 2, uh, which where Paul is making general um, before and after comments about what 
the Ephesians were like and what we are like before we come to Christ. Section 2, Will dealt with, he talked about um, James and John and the change that was made in them by being with Christ. Uh, then now we're going to have a look at two people that we have touched on in a previous Bible study. But Helen, I want you to share with us the story of the demoniacs only in the sense of what Jesus said to them right at the end. We know that Jesus healed them. We know that the demons were put into the pigs and the pigs rushed down the, the bank of uh, the uh, Lake of Galilee and were drowned. What I want to touch on is not any of those things. I want to touch on what Jesus said to them and what effect it had. So if you could share with us, Helen, from Mark 5, 18 to 20 in Section 3 that we're looking at today. Okay. Yes, I'd love to share. But I want to add something to what you just said about the story. The story is about Jesus. The story is about mm. Jesus and his power. Um, it's not so much the story of the pigs. Yes, that comes into it. But it is the story of a very, very sad person and how he was so degenerated, he was living by himself. No one was strong enough to handle him. And he he was literally like a, well, he was called a demoniac. Yes. And um, when Jesus asked how many demons were there, they said there was legion. This man was under the power of Satan. And yet we see what he was like before. We're given a description in Mark 5. But when we come to the ones that you, you've requested, which is um, Mark 5, 18 and 20, yes. we go through the whole scene of what happened when, when Jesus cured him supernaturally. It says here in verse um, 18, it says, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, No, go home to your family, tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. And so the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed at what he told them. Now I find it very interesting because Jesus told the man to go back and tell his friends about this miraculous healing. Most of the time Jesus urged those who were healed to keep quiet. But yeah. why was it different? Well, the demon-possessed man, he had been alone, he'd been unable to speak, and all of a sudden now he was in his right mind telling others what Jesus did for him. That it would be proof enough that he was healed. And it was mainly a Gentile and a pagan area that he came from. So Jesus wasn't expecting great crowds to follow him as the religious leaders um, to hinder him. And by sending the man away, with the good news, Jesus was expanding his ministry to people who were not of the Jews. You yeah. know, when you think of it, this man was demon-possessed, but he became a living example of Jesus' power. He yeah. wanted to go with Jesus, and Jesus said, no, go home and share your story with friends. And I guess there's a lesson for us there, Brenton. You know, if we have experienced Jesus' power in our life, you know, are we ready and enthused? Sorry? Where do we start, Helen? Yes, Where do we, start? Uh, we start with our friends. You know, if if you had just learned, as I learned back in 2015, a wonderful miracle that God brought into my life to heal me, I didn't want to keep quiet. In fact, I was told not to keep quiet in Chronicles. Yeah. And, you know, you just want to bubble over, don't you? And so I think we should also tell about Christ who cures us from sin. Yes, yes, that's true. Any other thoughts, uh, panel? Just a quick one here. The principle, yes, yes. the principle here is that our tendency as humans is 
to go where we see that can be you know success that can yeah. be, and and this was i'm not judging this man he no, wanted, to go no, no. Jesus. He wanted yeah. to go with jesus because he knew that jesus whatever he touches makes so much you know um sense and the miracles it's almost like we as newborn christians we may like now to go maybe in brazil or in uh, uh, yes. in africa where you yeah. see the word of god proclaimed and people coming to god we want to go there because we see almost success there but we are not prepared to face our own reality this man the dem- demoniac he i believe he was rejected from his yes. own from society he lived in but now was the time to really share what happened in his life and face face those challenges because i believe it was not easy people to come and just embraced him people yes. still he will still have the stigma and all the prejudgmental attitude of those people but that was his story and with that story he could touch the hearts of those people who are more closer and that's my from this bible study today how to share the story of jesus Mm. Can, can I just add, uh, Brenton? Yeah, um, sure. Just a quick comment, Helen, before we get yes. to you. Nick, it's not only how you share the story, it's with who do you share the story. Yeah. Helen, what did you have yeah, to say? Yeah, I'm reminded of the lady, you know, at the well and how she had a very bad reputation and yet when she came face to face with Jesus, she dropped everything and ran straight back to the scene or the people that despised her and, and accused her. And the change in her was a testimony alone and it's the same with this man the the, the town people had seen him at his worst yes. and then suddenly here was a man who was in his right mind telling them about this wonderful um person that had had brought him back to reality virtually they saw the before they saw the after to me that is a huge testimony because you can go to to strangers and you can tell your testimony but they haven't seen the before yeah and and when i was cured very good point, helen very good yeah, when i was cured of a collapsed lung it was amazing that you know people that knew me and knew knew all the um, results from the hospital even the doctors they could not dispute the fact that a miracle had happened Yes. They couldn't explain it scientifically and they saw the before they saw the after and I believe this is one very good reason why Jesus said go go back to your own folk. He said the same to the disciples start with the house of God and then spread out and and we need to be aware of that. There are times that that we may not be able to speak to our own family but if they see such a remarkable change in us whether we've gone from sons and daughters of thunder, you know, to be gentle and meek, if they see the change in us we don't even have to speak that's yeah. a testimony and it's powerful yeah the other uh, thanks helen uh, for sharing that with us the other point panel that i think we need to remember about this is in sending him back i think you touched on it earlier helen there would have been a fair degree of prejudice had he actually gone with christ because he was a gentile that would have disrupted mm-hmm. his work back in galilee which is where the boat was headed when they left that shore Uh, but secondly in sending this man back to his own family and uh, as you put it those who knew him before the terror of the neighborhood and those who knew him now 
he was actually preparing the way for Christ who came back to this region about 12 months later. And some of you remember the uh, miracle of the feeding of the 4,000. Not the 5,000, the 4,000. The feeding of the 4,000 was the results of this man's witness. These were the people who came out to hear Christ 12 months later. So what Christ was doing is saying, I want you to go back to your neighbourhood and prepare the ground, prepare the soil, so that when I come back again, uh, there is a harvest ready. And I think that's truly wonderful. Any other thoughts on that, Len? A very quick one. Yes, sure. No doubt this man made a very uh, profound um, impact, had a very profound impact on the people because there he was all mad as a mad, uh, a mad hatter. He was. <laughs> Disheveled and crazy, comes back and he's in his right mind. That was a very dramatic example of what happens when the Lord enters the life of a person. Yes. You become converted. You change. You change from what I would say an ugly person to a beautiful person. Yeah, that's true. Well, um, John talks. Uh, we're back to John again now in section four. Um, John has some very, very powerful things to say about our assurance of salvation. And we find those in 1 John 5, 11 to 13. I wondered, Will, whether you could read those for us and just share some comments on it. Thank you. 1 John 5, verse 11 to 13. And this is the testimony that uh, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. What stands out for me here, panel and listener, is the fact that he is saying that we can know that we have eternal life. Too many of us ask the question, I wonder if I'll be saved one day. Once you meet the Lord Jesus Christ and you accept his grace and you fully give yourself to him, you can have the full assurance inside your soul that all is well between you and the Lord. Thank you, Will. Any other thoughts, panel, on this particular one? Because this is pretty powerful. Um, the no in here, it says um, the assurance, the word the no in verse 13, in the Greek, suggests the knowledge here is intuitive and absolute and implies full conviction. That means that uh, John is saying to the church members, he's saying you may have this assurance now. Notice the tense in which it's used. It's present tense. It's a continuing. Actually, I think one of the Bible commentaries brings out the fact that it is a continuing tense. Not only uh, can you be assured of salvation now, you can be continually assured of salvation providing you remain in Christ. And that's the, uh, the key word. I'd just like to um, mention some terminology. Sure. Some people have the hope of eternal life, but what you've said is what I was going to say. When we accept Christ and the grace that's given to us, and we live according to God's word, 
we don't just have the hope of eternal life, we have the assurance. Yes, yes, that's, that's very well put. Helen? Eternal life isn't based on feelings, it's actually based on facts. And do we believe what God says or not? You know, just just read and study John 3.16 and, you know, whosoever believes on him shall not perish, you know, but have eternal life. God speaks truth and we may not feel we've got it, we may not even feel close to God, but it is a fact. Yeah, that, that's true. Guys, just before we move on, he who has the Son has life, as Will read. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Uh, put in very simple language, what does it mean to have Christ? Is it Christ living in us? Is it Christ directing us? Is it uh, our hope, our faith in Christ? What, what exactly is John talking about here, do you think? Just quickly on that one. We mentioned a few times, and it can be just uh, uh, the fact that you know this, we are used to this sort of language talking about our story, our yeah. testimony, mm -hmm. our experience with yes. Jesus. But I would like to say now that all of those are all good, okay? But in fact, overall, is the story of Jesus in us. In everything what we do and experience is not our story. It's the story of Jesus and his touch. Thank you, Nick. Mm. Any other thoughts? Will? Have you got any further thoughts on this one? I've been thinking of words written by Thomas Gray in 1750, very well-known elegy written in a country churchyard, which yes. has tremendous truth uh, about us keeping our testimony back, simply be because we believe we, we do not have something adequate to share. He says, Full many a gem of purest ray serene, the dark, unfathomed caves of the ocean bear. Full many a flower is born to blush unseen and waste its sweetness on the desert air. And the lesson I believe here is that we can live our lives in isolation and neglect, neglecting to bless others with the fragrant truth or valuable treasure of salvation as expressed in a simple testimony. You know, we have a testimony to share, and we're encouraged to share it, and silence is not golden here. Thank you. Um, Will, I, I agree totally with uh, your comments there. Um, remember what we said earlier on, no, when, no sooner have we come to f know Christ that there is born in our heart a desire to make him known to others. And you can't suppress that. You can't hold it back. Len, in section five, Paul makes the statement that most of us know fairly well. It may not be so familiar to our listeners. I wondered if you could read Galatians 2.20 and just briefly comment on it for us. And then we'll ask Helen to summarize um, as we close our study for today. Thank you. Well, Paul, in looking at his life, what I would say his former life and his present life, he made this statement. He said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what he was saying, the separation between 
the old life, we'll say the selfish life, the sinful yes. life, yes. that's been crucified. In other words, it's been annulled. It no longer exists. He said, my existence that I have now is in Christ. I am a changed person. I live in Christ. I live to do his will. His will is evident in the way I live. So that's that's rather beautiful. I, I think it's a lovely passage. Uh, he says, I have been crucified. In other words, it's it's been annulled. I'm over and done with that life now. Is there a sense of assurance in what he says, Lee? Oh, positive. Absolutely mm. positive. Absolutely. In another place, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Yes. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He had no doubt that living in Christ and Christ living in him, he was going to be a recipient of eternal life, just as what we expect to have and those of our listeners who commit themselves to the Lord as well. Yes, we can have that same assurance, can't we, Len, as what he had? Yes. So that's a lovely, lovely passage, and it's really, the bottom line is in being crucified with Christ daily. He says in another place, doesn't he, Len, I die daily. Yes. Um, We need to be crucified. Our old natures, the old Brenton Wilkinson, the old Len Hennig, needs to be crucified every day in order that Christ may live his life out in us. And it's, it's interesting. What people see is they look at the way we were before and the way we are now, but for those who are not spiritually attuned, they wonder why there is a difference. For those who are spiritually attuned, they say, ah, this person has met Jesus. And I'm wondering, Helen, if you could read um, a section for me, a little uh, gem. I think it's a real gem, really, that you can share with our listeners as we close our Bible study for today. I'd, I'd love to do that, um, Brenton. But let me just make one comment Certainly. Uh, as we close that off. We're no longer alone, for Christ lives in us. He has the power living and our hope for the future and that's from Colossians 1.27 Very complimentary comment isn't it? It is. Telling the story of Jesus is telling the story of how his grace has worked in our lives as Nick said before it is about Jesus about his grace in our lives. Witnessing is not a spiritual gift given to only a very few people by the way. It is the role of every Christian simply tell what Christ has done for you Yes. Share with others the peace that you have found in Jesus. Tell them how Christ gave you purpose in your life. And pray for opportunities to tell those around you the joy you have in following Jesus. Tell them how you grasped his promises by faith and you have found them to be true. Stand on his promises. Share answers to your prayers or Bible promises that are meaningful to you. You will be surprised at how others will respond to a faith that is genuine I would just like to say I've had opportunity quite a number of times with my own brothers. I don't keep things back when, when I see miracles of God or in his everyday present in the life of myself and of others. I just can't keep quiet. I just share it with them and they can take it on board or not. It's their choice. But um, my choice is to share Jesus and tell what he's done. Thank you, Helen. First of all, let me say thank you to the panel for your contribution today. 
This is a vitally important topic for sharing Jesus with others. And we have learnt through the experience of several people mentioned in the Word of God how they related. I would like to make an appeal to our listeners that you too can have this same experience in your life, the same experience John and James had, the same experience Paul had, the same experience the demoniac had, the same experience that Paul talks about when he says he was crucified with Christ. All of that can be yours if you willingly, gladly and lovingly surrender yourself to the Lord. I wonder, Will, if you could close with prayer for us, please. Dear Heavenly Father, it doesn't take us long as we read Scripture to realize uh, that there are there is a before and after for everyone that meets Jesus. The before is a time of uh, struggle and uh, and darkness, and then when we meet Jesus, there is light and there is joy and a rapturous. A new experience. We really need to tell others about what Jesus can do for others. And we pray that um, that Jesus' testimony may come from us in our testimony. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, panel. Uh, thank you for sharing today. As we learned today that uh, it's an amazing story of Jesus in our life. Next time, to look into a message really worded to share. And I'll invite you all to join us next time. Until then, may God bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.